Welcome to my Parsha share this week. We're going to focus on Parsha's Ekev. I'm going to begin by giving you the first few psukim, and I'll also translate them into English. And it will be because you will listen to these laws and keep them and do them that Hashem, your God, will keep the covenant for you and the kindness that he foreswore to your ancestors. Hashem will love you and bless you, and he will multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your soil and your grain and your wine and your oil and also the offspring of your cattle and the choice of your flocks in the land which he promised to your ancestors that he would give you. Of all the nations you shall be the most blessed. There will be no sterile male or barren female among you, nor among your livestock, and God will eliminate all illness from your midst and all of the evil diseases of Egypt that you knew. He will not set them upon you. He will lay them on all your enemies. Okay, those are the opening psukim of the parsha. The Mepharshim, the commentaries, have plenty to say about these opening psukim. Starting off with the opening word, Vahoya. Why did the Torah have to begin the parsha using the word Vahoya? If Vahoya is referring to God keeping his covenant with us, in other words, the fact that God will shomar eshabris, from a purely grammatical standpoint, it would have been fine for the Torah to have said, Ekev tishmu'un, you don't need the word vahoya there as an introduction. Then there is the issue of the word ekev, which we translate as if or because, but it's a weird word. The usual word we would use for if or because in Hebrew is im. For example, in Parshas Bechukaisai, in Sefer Vayikra, the Parsha begins im Bechukaisai Telechu, if you follow in my statutes. It doesn't say so why do we use the word Ekev here? It's a good question, right? Rashi and many of the Mepharshim quote and comment on the famous Medrash Tanchuma on the word Ekev in our parsha. The word Ekev, says the Medrash, alludes to the word in Hebrew that means heel, like the heel of your foot. And it's an allusion to the kind of mitzvahs that people ignore or minimize. In other words, they crush them under their heels because they consider them inconsequential. But, as the Rachaim points out, while this is a wonderful idea to get us to take little inconsequential mitzvahs more seriously, it is not pshat with this word. Says the Rachaim, I think we must explain the word in terms of the statement in Bereshus Rabbah which says, Ein vahoya ela simcha. Whenever we see the word vahoya in Tanakh, in the Holy Scriptures. It implies something pleasant, something joyous, something jubilant is going to be discussed. So what is joyous and jubilant at the beginning of Parshas Ekev? Moshe was informing the Jewish people that it is not correct for a person to be happy unless he knows for certain that he has fulfilled all his obligations vis-a-vis -vis God. 
If a person is conscious of failing to perform either a positive or a negative commandment, he can't allow himself to be very joyful. This is what it means when it says in Kaheles, Ula simcha ma ze osa. And of joy, what does this accomplish? Joy without fulfilling what God wants from you is vacuous and meaningless, utterly superficial. In fact, it's not real joy at all. And that is why Moshe uses the word Ekev, says the Rachaim. Vahoya, do you know when you'll be happy in the ultimate way? Ekev tishmun, if you totally discharge your duty to God. And because you totally discharge your duty to God. The Rachaim adds that there are other instances where the word Ekev is used similarly by Chazal, such as in Soita Dap Memtes, where the Gemara tells us what is going to happen right at the end of the period, just before the arrival of the Mashiach, of the Messiah. And that period is referred to as Akev. In other words, it is at the end. It is almost at completion. Another lesson that can be learned from this posuk, says the Orachayim, is that the Torah must be studied in a joyful frame of mind, which is why someone who has just lost a close relative and is sitting shiva isn't allowed to study Torah, because he or she cannot possibly be in a joyful state of mind. The Zohar says that there is no joy before God equal to the joy that God experiences when the Jewish people study the Torah. The Torah uses the word vahoya without being specific to show that this joy will be of a very general nature. In fact, it will embrace the whole world and only because you listen to Hashem's commandments. I love this Arachayim and I want to run with what he's saying. I want to talk about the importance of joy in Judaism and for people of faith. The Gemara in Shabbos, the Lamed Omid Beis, has a whole discussion about the topic of joy, although from a totally different angle. The question it deals with is this, how does it make any sense to include the book of Kehelles in Tanakh? Ecclesiastes, it, it's a very depressing, very downbeat book, and surely Torah is meant to make you happy. Kehelles is never going to make you happy. And here's the Gemara. Rav Yehuda, son of Rav Shmuel Bashila, said in the name of Rav, the sages wanted to suppress the book of Kehelles because its statements contradict each other. And why didn't they exclude it? Because it begins with Torah ideas and it ends with Torah ideas. It begins with Torah ideas because it says, what profit has man of all his labor which he labors under the sun? And the scholars of the school of Rabbianai said, under the sun is where man has no profit from his labor. However, before the sun, in other words, when he's engaged in the study of Torah, which came long before the sun did, he does have profit. And Kehelis ends with Torah ideas, as it says, at the end of it all, having heard everything, fear God, observe his mitzvahs, kizeh kol ha'odam, for this is all of the man. The Gemara then asks, what do you mean when you say that its statements, they contradict each other? What's that talking about? The Gemara gives two examples where there are contradictions, where contradictions exist within the text of Kehelas. In one place it says, anger is better than laughter. And in another place it says, I said of laughter, it's praiseworthy. And another contradiction. In one place in Kehelas it says, I praise joy. And in another place it says, and as regards joy, what does it accomplish? But the Gemara answers by explaining these contradictions. Anger 
is better than laughter, says the Gemara, means the anger of God towards the righteous in this world is preferable to the laughter that God laughs at the wicked in this world by giving them good things in life, for example. And when it says, I said of laughter, it is praiseworthy, that is the laughter which God laughs together with the righteous in the world to come. Similarly, I praised joy refers to the joy of a mitzvah, whereas, and as regards joy, what does it accomplish? That is the kind of joy that is not the joy of a mitzvah. The praise of joy mentioned here is to teach you that the divine presence doesn't rest on an individual when that individual is sad. And by the way, adds the Gemara, God's presence is absent from lazy people and from people for whom everything is a massive joke. God is only present when there is an atmosphere imbued with the joy of a mitzvah. That's the joy we need to be focused on if we want to be in the presence of Hashem. The Gemara cites a story, the prophet Elisha, after he became angry at the king of Israel, his prophetic spirit left him until he requested, bring me a minstrel, and it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of God came upon him. Mitzvah joy was crucial for him, and it's crucial for us. The Rambam in Mishnah Torah, Hilchus Lulav, Perik Ches, Halachatesvav, codifies this into law. The true appreciation of a mitzvah, says the Rambam, is only through joy. Hasimcha she yismach odam basias ha mitzvah bahavas hakel shetziva bahen avoida gedolahi. The joy which a person derives from doing a mitzvah and from loving God, who has commanded us to do the mitzvahs, is a supreme form of divine worship. Becholamonia atzmaim is simcha zu roi lehifara mimenu. Shenemar, this is from Dvorim Perikhov Ches Posuk Memzain, Anyone, says the Rambam, who refrains from experiencing this joy deserves punishment, as it is written, because you have not served Hashem your God with joy and with a glad heart. This is from Shmuel Beis Perik Vav Posuk Tezain. True greatness, says the Rambam, and honor can only be attained by rejoicing before God. As it is written, King David was leaping and dancing before God, explains the Magid Mishnah. The essence of the matter is that a person should not merely fulfill the commandments out of obligation, feeling forced or coerced to do them, but rather they should be done joyfully. One should do good because it is good, choose truth because it is true, and find the tasks light and understandable, realizing that they were created to serve their creator. When one performs actions that were created for them, a person will find joy and delight, as the happiness derived from worldly matters depends on fleeting and impermanent things. However, true joy lies in the fulfillment of the mitzvahs, in the study of Torah and in Chochmah. The Arizal, in his introduction to Shara Mitzvah, says it clearly. The performance of mitzvahs, he says, is not enough. This is what he says. I've translated it into English. You should know that someone who performs a mitzvah should never be satisfied with merely carrying it out. For our sages have taught, whoever performs one mitzvah, goodness is bestowed upon him, and his days are lengthened. Similarly, they have said that whoever fulfills 
a specific mitzvah will receive a specific reward. We've witnessed numerous instances, says the Arizal, where people perform mitzvahs but fail to realize the true greatness of their reward, even in this world. The key, says the Arizal, lies in not regarding the mitzvah as a burden and just getting something they have to get over and done with. Rather, one should always have the thought that if I fulfill this mitzvah, I'm winning the lottery, which will mean that you'll be so happy to do it as if you really won the lottery. And as this depth of true inner joy expands, your merit to receive an elevated experience, a light that only shines if you do mitzvahs with joy and with enthusiasm. If you constantly maintain this attitude, says the Arizal, there is no doubt that the spirit of holiness will rest on you. The one who really takes up this idea and expands on it in every possible way is Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Mitzvah gedoyla liyos besimcha, he says. The biggest mitzvah of all is to be joyful and happy, to distance oneself from sadness and bitterness because it corrodes one's strength. And all the ailments that befall a person only come about because a person lets themselves be sad. Of course, says Reb Nachman, every individual has many challenges, which is why one must exert such a strong effort to be in perpetual joy and to find joy in everything possible, even in mundane, simple things. Sometimes a broken heart is good and even important, but it's only suitable for specific moments in your life when, when you need to pour out your heart and express your thoughts before Hashem. But the default? The default must always be joy. Throughout the entire day, one should be happy. If your default is sad, then guess what? It's easy to fall into ever deeper sorrow and you'll never find happiness when you are wallowing in sadness and self-pity. This concept of mitzvah g'dayla liyos besimcha, the great mitzvah of being joyful and happy, is a profound teaching from Reb Nachman of Breslov. It emphasizes the importance of cultivating a positive and joyful mindset in all aspects of life. I'm going to give you some examples. Gratitude and trust. To be constantly joyful means to approach life with a sense of gratitude for all the blessings we have and to trust in the divine providence that governs our existence. This joy comes from recognizing that everything we experience, both the pleasant and the challenging, serves a purpose and is ultimately for our growth and benefit. Empowerment, embracing joy, empowers us to face life's trials with resilience and courage. When we maintain a joyful attitude, we become better equipped to deal with difficulties, finding the strength to overcome obstacles and navigate through adversity. Enhanced relationships, joy is contagious and has the power to uplift not only ourselves but also those around us. By radiating positivity and happiness, we inspire others to do the same, creating a ripple effect of joy within our communities and our families. Connection with the divine. Joy is a reflection of our inner spiritual state and connection with Hashem. When we experience true joy, we align ourselves with our soul's purpose and the source of all creation. In this state of connection, we feel closer to God and experience a deeper sense of inner peace. Fulfillment of mitzvahs. 
Joy is not only a result of fulfilling mitzvahs, but also a means to enhance their observance. When we perform mitzvahs with joy, they become more meaningful and spiritually fulfilling, strengthening our relationship with God and deepening our understanding of the significance of these commandments in our lives. Elevated consciousness, being joyful, elevates our consciousness and shifts our focus from petty concerns to a higher perspective. It opens our hearts and minds to experience the beauty and wonder of the world around us, allowing us to connect with the spiritual aspects of life. Embracing the present. Joy encourages us to be present in the moment and to appreciate the here and now. By living with joy, we release unnecessary worries about the past or future choosing to fully engage in the present and make the most of every opportunity. Let me end with a piece from Likute Moharan, a beautiful piece. It will really inspire you. Rav Nachman uses a vivid analogy to illustrate his point. Imagine, he says, a scene where people are joyously dancing, filled with jubilation and merriment. Amidst the celebration, a disheartened and despondent individual is brought forcefully into the midst of the dancing crowd. This person is, a, is burdened with a heavy heart, carrying the weight of sorrow and bitterness, and he, and he looks it in every way. But in a remarkable display of empathy and compassion, the joyous dancers don't leave this saddened soul on the outskirts of the dancing circle. Instead, they embrace this sad fellow and insistently invite them invite the person to participate in the celebration through care and warmth they encourage the downhearted individual to share in their joy to dance and laugh despite his or her sadness likewise says Rab Nachman in the context of spiritual growth and personal joy we find that when a person is immersed in genuine happiness the burdensome feelings of bitterness and affliction naturally begin to dissolve this transformative power of joy gradually purges the soul from distress, making way for an uplifted and lighter state of being. This teaching goes beyond the idea that merely experiencing joy will enable one to embrace a deeper level of spiritual maturity. The notion proposed by Rab Nachman is that we should strive to actively seek out those parts of ourselves that harbor sorrow and bitterness and instead of ignoring or suppressing these negative emotions he encourages us to confront them head-on and to bring them into the very heart of our joy by engaging in this transformative process we give our sorrow a voice and space within our happiness as we allow ourselves to feel and embrace the full spectrum of emotions we pave the way for an incredible alchemy to take place the bitterness, once it is acknowledged and integrated, has the potential to be transformed and transmuted into joy itself. The dance of life becomes an expression of wholeness, where sorrow and joy intermingle, and the experiences of suffering become stepping stones towards greater happiness. Just like the compassionate dancers who envelop the saddened soul in their joy, we too are called to embrace all aspects of ourselves, both joyful and sorrowful, 
In this beautiful dance of existence, we can find profound healing and spiritual growth, where every nuance of our emotional journey contributes to the symphony of life's ultimate joy. And with that beautiful thought, I will end. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you, thank you.